Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars... Well, I'm back to Saxon Jackson. I'm Tom Allen. We're going to the board. SP Futures down 11.50. NSA Futures down 15 after another big update yesterday. Do we have Mr. Kevin? We do indeed. Kevin, how are you? Good morning. Doing fine here. What's up with you? I'm doing fine here as well. Uh, a little chilly, but it's supposed to warm up today and uh, a little chilly on Friday. But then after that, we're uh, good to go for about three weeks. And actually, fairly mild winter weather. And who knows, by that time, we might have winter behind us. Just saying. We might. You never, you never know. Uh, you, you know, you sort of get well into February, and most of the time, it uh, it tends to start losing the bite, even when it's cold. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it just it, it just isn't so bitter. It can still happen, but you know, most of the time, and um, and then once you get to March, you don't know. You know, you, you might you might get seventy degree days in the first half of March, and you might be back getting snow at the end of March. That's the truth. As uh, mm-hmm. as our buddy from college used to say, "One never knows. Do one. <laughs> Do one. <laughs> <laughs> just just saying. You don't remember who the quote that was? Um, no, I don't. Willie Townsend. Remember Willie? Oh, okay. Remember Willie? I hope he yeah, I, I remember Willie Townsend. You know, I remember his famous "The time is now" speech. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also know that he and Mike saved the basketball season from the worst that could ever have been in college ball. You know, when, uh, well, I, I don't know if they saved it in terms terms of wins and losses. Willie Townsend and Mike Townsend were football players. The listeners are not going yes. to know this, so yes. we probably should let them in on the uh, on the discussion. Um, and uh, so. Uh, Mike was an outstanding defensive end. Willie was a pretty good um, uh, wide receiver. He was the older, and uh, and they both played on the basketball team uh, because Digger's first year, Digger Phelps's first year, they wound up going six and twenty, um, which would have been they, was zero know. and twenty six if it wasn't for the Townsend brothers. But at least they. At least they were. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know about that because I think they won a couple early before the football players were allowed to play. Nevertheless, it wasn't that they served, saved it in terms of, uh, you know, high, uh, winning games or anything like that. It was more like they saved it in terms of having enough people to field a team. They had, uh, if I recall, and the listeners, this is, a, this is, this is you know, what can happen, especially when coaches leave. Uh, my freshman year, Kevin was not there yet. My freshman year, we had a spectacular team. It really could have gone. Well, UCLA ended up winning, but uh, in an unbelievable game, the Irish had Austin Carr, who I still think was one of the top ten players to ever play college ball, uh, and still holds what three NCAA records uh, for points. In oh, he, he he still holds the single game scoring record uh, 
without a three point. And that was before. That was before three point shots. Yeah. Um, but he also um, is in the top ten like six or seven times uh, of NCAA all time single game scoring, and uh, nobody else is there more than once. And he well he. Uh he was with a, a senior-dominated team that only like one guy really played from the underclassmen. This is my freshman year. Boy, I went to every single game to watch him play. I, I, mean, I knew even at that age that I would never see anything like that again. <laughs> and, and I haven't, <laughs> to be honest with you. And uh, But Johnny D was the coach, and I still don't recall, Kevin, what, what the hang-up was with Johnny D. They couldn't wait to get rid of the guy, and his name was never mentioned after that, even though he always had pretty good teams. I, but you know, I was young. I didn't. Remember, I didn't know any in any part of the uh, the back the backdrop. But the guy's name has never been mentioned. It's not like he's a Frank Leahy, an old coach that people love or anything. The guy had good teams, great players, and but somehow or another, they couldn't wait for him to get out of there, and he couldn't wait to get out of there. I mean, I, so Digger gets gets hired from Fordham, I believe, where he had a didn't he have a tournament team with the high the tallest guy in his team was like six six. And he had a, and he, uh, but Digger was a, was a really good coach when he was younger, and uh, so he shows up and he and he gathers up this this team that Johnny D had sort of half-assed put together. Uh, my freshman, the only guy who played really much as an underclassman, I think, was a guy named was it Doug Gimmel, and Doug Gimmel managed to go get a motorcycle crash and got his leg cut off like that summer or some bizarre thing. There was another guy who played somewhat. Which limited his mobility on the court. Yeah, limited his mobility on the court. Another guy joined the Peace Corps, didn't he? O'Mara? Uh, John Shoemate. I have. John Shoemate, who was our, my year, uh, he ended up with blood clots, so he couldn't play. Uh, Sammy Puckett, who was probably their biggest recruit, somehow flunked out. He was He's in the Chicago High School Basketball Hall of Fame, according to... Uh, who's the guy who went to Indiana and played for Detroit? Uh was his name? Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. In, in an interview like five years ago, said, who's the best player you ever played against? He's got this guy in high school named Sammy Puckett. That's how good the guy was. He flunks out his first semester. This is when this is when freshmen weren't even allowed to play. And the guy graduated from Hales Franciscan. It wasn't some some horrendous school or anything like that. And he just and he was one of the best guy was always dressed in a suit and tie. <laughs> I mean, he I I he was one of the original five eleven, six foot guys that could dunk with two hands kind of guys. And all of a sudden, he's gone. I don't know what happened to him. So they, they've got, like, nobody on this team for the first few games. And then uh, as I went down the field house in Indiana, uh, who the hell did I go down there with? Might have been Dr. Blade. Uh, we drove down in my junky old car down to see the Irish play Indiana in the first game ever in that field house. And the, the, what, they, what was the game? The scores? 94 to 27. I think Indiana tripled their score. No, it was more than that. It was 94 to 27 or something. It was, it was it was bad. It was like a real lot to trip. yeah. It was a real lot to like a real little and uh and, and then like the next week, Lara, uh, Era essentially told Digger, okay, you can have the Townsend brothers <laughs> after the uh, after the bowl game, and they came in and at least made the, the team. I don't think they were in a bowl game then, were they? Oh uh, yeah, freshman year, sure, hell yes, we were. Uh, Joe Theismann. Did they, did they break because they used to have a no didn't play in bowl games policy? No, no, that was the second. That was a, the first, my senior year in high school was the first year when they went down and uh, and uh, they, what they lost to Texas, and then the next year they went down and beat Texas. Okay. Because I went to the game, and uh, we drove down to Dallas, the old Cotton Bowl Stadium. It's when uh, 
we went, I went out with those, uh, two buddies of mine from the south side. We go down there to the game. And, of course, being young idiots, we show up at the, because it was in the, uh, the Texas, uh, wherever they do the state fair, the big fairgrounds. So we got there real early, and we go into the game, and we're the, we're the first three people, like, in the stadium, except for sitting right in front of us is this wild-looking lady with this huge blonde hair and, like, a fur coat. And I'm going, what is this all about? And she sits there, sits there, knew the ushers. All of a sudden, the, the game's just about to start. She wings off the, the, the fur coat, got this, let's just say, uh, uh, a serious figure without mu- with, with the smallest, like, bikini you ever saw, runs out on the field and kisses the ref. Which <laughs> was more was was a Morgana the kissing was Morgana? Yeah, it was Morgana. <laughs> about all the seats in the stadium, she's sitting right in front of us. And I'm like, and we're like, I'm like seventeen. I'm going, what is this? <laughs> anyway, it was interesting. But then, then, then the Irish. But she didn't. She didn't give you a smooch. No, no, I got nothing. I, if I had worn a, maybe if I had worn a striped shirt like a ref, maybe I'd have got something. She was looking know. for you, but she missed you. <laughs> yeah, she she didn't turn. If she'd have turned around, she'd have been all over me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. She'd have been all over me. Um, so let, let's let's finish the, the, a little bit of the thought on that uh, on the teams you were describing because the, um, uh, the 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 one very bad team you know the next year was at the in the NIT finals when the NIT was a really cool tournament and um, uh, and uh, because and and the reason the NIT was such a good tournament in those days was there were only twenty four teams in the NCAA tournament only conference champions could go conferences couldn't send their second place teams. So you've got the likes of, you know, of, of North Carolina in the tournament. You know, teams like that that uh, that may not have won their conference, but um, but then would go to the NIT. So it was a it was a really good tournament. And the following year um, was the team that ended uh, UCLA's winning streak. Uh, what what a lot of people don't know is that you described that team that when you were a freshman with Austin Carr and, and several other really good players, uh, Sid Catlett and Collis Jones and all of those, that was the last UCLA loss before right. they went on the 88-game winning streak. And then and that was also in South Bend. And then uh, and, and then several years later, or what, three years later, um, yeah. the uh, uh, UCLA came in with the 88-game winning streak and... Uh, and the Irish snapped that. In that loss, uh, before the winning streak started, Austin Carr had, I don't remember if it was 42, 44, whatever it was, it was a lot of points. And uh, and John Wooden kept putting different people on him. Yeah, he tried to You can actually go find the old Sports Illustrated article. It cleans up the language a little bit, yeah. but I confirmed this once with Austin Carr that it, it is absolutely a true story. Um he he kept rotating different players onto Carr, trying to get someone who could slow him down. He was strictly he finally man-to-man. put Sidney Wicks on him. Yeah, he was strictly Sidney Wicks was a, a first team All American forward, had a long NBA career, really good player. Um, and so the first time down the court, uh, he kind of backs off, and Carr just pops a jump shot basket. Okay, next time down the court, uh, he tried to come up and, and contest the gun t- uh, jump shot, and Carr just blew by him for a layup. Uh, and on the way back down the floor at that, he, uh, uh, Wicks just looks at uh, uh, John uh, John Wooden and says, I told you I couldn't leap and guard him. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was loud enough where, you know, I was there. I, I, everybody, everybody heard it. Everybody yep. heard it. And uh, But, but uh, Wooden was, was a strict man-to-man guy. I don't think he played ever his own, did he? 
I think he was. Don't know. I don't remember. Uh, don't remember if he played any zone ever or not. Well, like the guy in uh, was it? Who's Jim Beheim's strictly zone, right? I mean, guys had different strategies, and, and a lot of people play both. Yeah. Well, and, and Beheim has always played a, a unique zone in that they're much more aggressive than you think with a zone, um, and uh, and it, it's it may what it, what it does. The advantage that gives Syracuse is it makes it difficult to prepare for them. Now, they, it's still, you know, they, they still have to have the outstanding players to be a championship caliber oh, sure. team. Uh, but it, it is really tough to shift gears when you see much different defenses all season long, and then you get to this one game, and you have two days to prepare for something that looks entirely different from whatever anybody else does. Our buddy uh, Dr. J, who played a hell of a lot of football, uh, and uh, you know he's a linebacker, and I guess not even might have played a little strong, strong safety. I don't know. John's pretty fast. He said the hardest hardest thing to coach in zone defense, and I'm sure this counts the same for basketball as it does for football. He goes, you got to keep just breaking into people's brains and say you're not guarding a a, a hunk of grass. <laughs> you're supposed to take the guy in your zone, <laughs> but you got to take the guy in the zone. You can't just. Say here I am, <laughs> as the guy stands between two people wide open. Some you have to match up in your zone, I and mean, that's the hardest thing to do when you're teaching people on zones. And, and, and still today, you watch pro football, you'll see people they'll be in some kind of a zone defense or a, a cover two or something, which isn't really a zone. And all of a sudden, you'll see somebody just wander in, and there's neither neither guy picks them up yet. They've got their area well protected, right? Yeah, nobody's no, uh, no. You, you can get in, but you can't get out. At yeah. least not unless you catch the ball first. All right, Kevin, I want to switch gears here a little bit. The reason hey, before you before we get away from sports, and then I'll let you. Oh do no, this. no, we're not. We're not uh, I, I just want to mention uh, a Bobby Hall mention. Yeah, because um, you, you talked about him yesterday, and I, you know, I thought there, there was a lot of good commentary. Uh, but but the thing is, and, and you also talked about him, uh, you know, about how he hit his wife. Um, and uh, you know, and, and that he was abusive, and and I think that's part of the package too that uh, that everybody needs to uh, consider and, and remember uh, when it comes to a guy like that. Uh, this is something that I always try to drive home with my kids um, when when they were young, and that is, I, I don't care. You can pick a musician, you can pick anybody that you you know when you when you think highly of them, that you can't possibly know really what goes on away from the field, what goes on when he's not in front of a, a camera and a microphone. Um, and so the idea that, uh, that we should uh, admire people because they're great athletes uh, just doesn't make any sense to me because you can't know. What we can admire maybe, that certainly respect, is that, uh, is that they are incredibly driven as competitors. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the positive legacy of Bobby Hall. The negative leg- legacy is obviously, um, you know, what, uh, his abusiveness. But on the, on the positive side, that he was such a driven, competitive person, and you can look at that and, and, uh, and have a lot of respect for that. Bobby Hall was an absolutely great hockey player. He was an incredible hockey player. He was an absolute see. pinnacle of the gene pool. He was a, he was the fastest yeah. skater, the strongest guy, and the hardest shot, all in the same person. Yeah, and 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 I used to go to Blackhawk games all the time. Uh, I, I, uh, some friends and I were just big hockey fans, and we would get down to the stadium two hours beforehand, pay our two bucks to get a standing room ticket.
and then you better not move. Sorry, you don't get to go take a leak. You're going to lose your spot. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, so, and I saw that guy play so many times, and it was just it was amazing to see a lot of really incredibly good hockey players on uh, in those days. But um, well, you only had sixteen. Watching him, watching a Bobby Orr, watching those kinds of guys was was just awesome to see. You know, I, I don't know that Bobby Orr has ever been involved in a scandal. I don't, you know, and and I don't care one way or the other. I, you know, I just look at him as a hockey player who was immensely talented, what a bad knee. and incredibly driven to be great. And and I think that's about as far as I'm willing to take it with these guys. Uh, otherwise, you just you don't know. Even people with a great public image, you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, I think a lot of the issue. I don't know the name of. Uh Maybe Matt can look it up. Whoever was the the coach of the 1961 team that won the Stanley Cup, that everybody thought with a very young Bobby Hall and Stan Mikita that they would win several more Cups, and then they never did. They always were. A, the 61 team was not even their best team by far. This, the best team was probably 67. But, but you know, Stanley Cup is a Stanley Cup. you got a hot goal, goaltender, no matter who it is. I mean, people can. But... This Two is according to HockeyReference.com. That would be Rudy Pilas. Rudy Pilas, correct? yeah. And and what what did what did Rudy Pilas invent, Kevin? You're probably the only one who knows this. Uh, he invented the uh, the Pilas meter. He, he invented the morning skate around. Where, oh, okay. Where would he if he was on the road or something or wherever they were, they would they would have to show up at eight o'clock and skate. Uh, just so we could see how bleeped up everybody was the night before, because all these guys didn't <laughs> drink. Yeah, so so the morning skate around was a to to make some of the players go to bed earlier. Yes, and and for those that didn't, it was to sweat out the alcohol. Huh? Yes, <laughs> and I'm I'm going to say that uh, having known people that knew Bobby Hull pretty well, I actually met him a few times. Uh, the transformation between the Bobby Hull not drinking and the, and but the thing. He, Strikes me, Kevin. Is it? I think it's somebody. Uh, maybe don't. Maybe people don't. It's not the same sort of thing. I mean, people used to drink a hell of a lot more than they do now. I mean, what do you, I mean when you see all these kids doing shots on Friday night, I I never knew anybody to drink like that. I mean, I was never big shot guys, but everybody now seems to want to get bleep faced on one night. But people used to drink like all the time when we were kids. It was like every night for people. And uh, but I don't. How does a guy? I mean, you and I are are, are pretty big guys, but. Nowhere in the nowhere near as strong as that guy was. I mean, he was like an ox. It won't possess him to hit anybody, much less a female, for God's sake. And uh, well, th- and that's that's it for athletes. I'm with you, Tom. But I don't. They, they, I don't, they shouldn't be hitting a a, a, a guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and and even even if challenged, you sh- you, you know you really need to do everything you can to walk away. Absolutely. Because when you're so off the charts. Um, uh, strong, you can kill somebody. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm. Well, but uh, the thing of it is, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm honest with, with everybody. I, I, I love, I love to have a glass of wine or, or, or a beer. I mean, I, but you know what, Kevin? I made myself a promise when I first started. When I was like, whatever old I was, eighteen. If if I ever didn't know how I got home, or if I ever said something or did something to somebody, I regretted the next day. That would be the last drink I ever had, and I've never done that. And because, but if it happened tonight, I would never have another drink. I, just, I mean, how how you can, and especially as somebody who's in the, the the public eye, which really weren't so much in those days, how can you possibly know that what what something does to you, whether it's 
booze, whether it's marijuana, whether it's God knows what else you're taking. Mm. How can you how can you let yourself change like that and, and realize what it's doing to you and not stop? Because these guys have immense willpower. It's not like they couldn't stop drinking if they wanted to. You would think. Yeah, because that same drive that makes them outstanding athletes it would you know should be able to drive their personal lives. But you you know when when it comes to drugs and alcohol, there's there's no explaining it to, uh, addiction. Um, one of the examples I used to use with my son because it was you know he was the right age at the time. Remember a, um, a basketball player named Roy Tarpley? Yep. Roy Tarpley was a great player at Michigan. He was a high round draft pick of the Dallas Mavericks, and he was an NBA All Star. Um, in those days, the NBA's drug policy worked like this: if you got um, First of all, if you got busted, you were you you'd had a suspension. It it pretty much, but it pretty much went that if you turned yourself in, um, then you would be suspended with pay. You would go to rehab and you would come back, but you were subject to drug testing. That's sort of similar um, to the way and policy if you turned yourself into in a second time. Then you were suspended without pay. You'd go to rehab and then you'd come back and you'd continue to be drug tested. The, uh, so a lot of guys would turn themselves in as soon as they got the order to take a drug test because they knew they were going to fail it because you didn't want to do that because if you failed without turning yourself in or if you hit the third time, you were done for life with the possibility of reinstatement in two years but done for life, which some guys were. I'm not so sure. Hartley was one of them. I'm not so sure. So, you know, as, as I told my kids, you know, shouldn't the decision have been easier, easy for Roy Tarpley? You know, I, I'm going to use cocaine and lose my this incredible livelihood I have playing in the NBA and making millions of dollars, or not use cocaine and continue to make millions of dollars. Should be an easy choice. He obviously could not say no to the drug. That tells you how powerful addiction is. It's, that, uh, it tells you everything you know. Yeah. So you might use and you might be fine. You know, you might, you know, you use some, you use certain kinds of drugs or, you know, whatever it is you use, you might use it, you might end up fine, no harm, no, uh, well, I'd say no harm, no foul, or it's not necessarily no harm, but, you know, eventually you stop and you start living a normal life. On the other hand, you might just as well turn out like a, a, a Tarpley or a lower level version of Tarpley where you never had the millions in the first place, but whatever it is, you're going to let down everybody in your life. Um, you know, you're going to constantly be a disappointment to people. You're not going to show up for appointments, important things in other people's lives. It, you know, and and that's that's addiction. And I don't know how to explain it. I know how to recognize it. Uh, I've I've lived. You know, I've been close to addicts at different times in my life that uh, you know that I've known and wished I could uh, be more helpful. But you just don't know. And I, you know, I, I don't understand the whole power of it, except that I it except that I can tell it is a powerful thing, and I don't know how to explain addiction in any other way. Kevin, when we uh, come back from break, let's take a couple minutes. I want to, the reason why I started on this sports rant had to do with uh, Nick Saban talking about uh, Texas A&M, like, buying their whole team, and how he had some kid wanted 800 grand before he even showed up as a freshman, and he told him to go somewhere else, and his comments were... Then, of course, he retracted all of them, even though he said them. But I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, uh, well, I want to talk about the, the stock market and yesterday the huge rally. And again, this is uh, based on the talking heads saying the reason why we rallied is because the personal income was down. Okay, well, we know we know we got inflation, so 
we're celebrating personal income being down. Well, how far does that go? But I also want to talk a little bit. You talk about people addicted. I mean, in the old days, I knew janitors at the Chicago Public Schools that were, like, pretty much drunk all day. I mean, you don't see that anymore, but I knew a lot of people who drank at lunch in business. I mean, serious booze, and, and you'd, never swear, you'd swear they never had a drink. They were so practiced at it. But this constant now, every time I walk down the street, which isn't very often in the middle of the day, right across the expressway, even in the wintertime, cars go by and all I'm doing is smelling marijuana. Mm. I mean, are people high all friggin' day? Is, I mean, what, what, what if the state cared, the state, whoever's running this show, if they cared, all they care about is their revenue on this marijuana, open more and more places. Is anybody keeping track of what this is doing to people? I mean, I, it's one thing, you and I know a lot of people in, in, in college that, you know, love to, love to do a couple of dubs on a Friday, Saturday night, or maybe once in a while more, but I don't know that I ever saw anybody going to work all day that all they did was stink marijuana and stuff. Don't they even know they, they stink, for God's sake? It's worse than tobacco. tobacco. Somebody walks by in, in the elevator, I'm going, would you just do the dub now? What's the matter with you? I mean, is it, does anybody? Oh, yeah, so let's talk about that, but yeah. let's talk about, you know, what's, what's going on in California with the revenue, too. SP Futures down 7, NASDAQ Futures up 11. Uh, we're back to pretty much break even here after a big day yesterday. We have the Fed announcement today. We'll see how that goes. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. 
You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold. The idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. All right. Place your bets. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome, welcome, stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Al, in front of the board. SP futures down seven, NASDAQ futures up eleven. As we continue a very, a very bullish, very momentum-driven kind of market right now, and uh, people are are looking at. Uh, they're vindicated. They hung in there through last year. Now we're flying back up, and we'll see if it keeps going as we enter the month of uh, February. Uh, January was a huge month. From, it's been the biggest January in like a couple decades. Okay, the Dow futures are down 114. Individual stocks. Big news yesterday was Snapchat's down a buck 74, which is like uh, 20% almost. And the stock's down to 981. Is they, I guess they're gaining business, but they still can't figure out a way to monetize it. But <clears throat> I guess that's the, the bane of that business. We also have... Uh, we have Meta is down a buck thirty-two a little bit, but the stock's still trading one forty-seven sixty-five. As uh, a lot of people seem to think that uh, Facebook has really given up that their traditional business of people being they don't I mean they're they don't even given it up, but they're, they're they don't see the growth there, and they're almost willing to let somebody else take the, the reins on that, which appears to be Snapchat, but they don't seem to be able to monetize it yet. Same problem that that Meta you know slash Facebook has always had. Anyway, over in Europe we've got. DAX up 39.2%, FTSE up 16.2%, Kekaran up 11.2%. So uh, slightly bullish across the board in Europe ahead of the Fed announcement. Yesterday is a review, Dow up 368, that's over 1%. S&P up 58, that's 1.5%. NASDAQ up 190, 1.7%. So these stocks are, are flying north just like it's, you know, 1929 again, for God's sake. Uh, which doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going to stay there and doesn't mean we won't keep going for sure. Uh, Nikkei up 19 points. It's uh, call that flat. Uh, Hang Seng up 229. So they've bounced back from their two down days this week. That's 1%. Shanghai up 29. That's 0.9%. We have bonds down five basis points, 3.48. The Bund uh, unchanged, 2.28. Japan, uh, 0.48 unchanged as well. We've got oil. Uh, up 46 cents, but still under 80, 79.33. Brent up 29 cents, 85.75. Natural gas, 268 unchanged. We've got gold, uh, 19.44. It's down 60 cents. Silver down 24 cents, 23.59. Uh, copper down 5 cents, 4, uh, 4.17. We've got Bitcoin down 14 bucks, but still over 23,000, 23,0093. That stays fairly buoyant. And we have the U.S. dollar. Uh, we're, we're up and we're down every day, but we're right on the euro. We're right at this 108 number. We've been there for a long time. Same thing with the pound, 123. Nothing changing there. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Hey, good morning. Currently 6.37 a.m. on February 1st, 2023. An accident on the inbound on the Dan Ryan occurred in the local lanes before Canal Port Avenue. Traffic is solid right now. However, workers are currently relocating the crash. 
Expect delays up to 10 minutes. Weather in Chicago, cloudy skies currently, right now 9 degrees, a high of 28 later today. As far as the rest of this week, we're looking at mostly clear skies. Temperatures remaining below freezing until this Sunday, although expect clear skies through Saturday. Right now in Phoenix, clear skies, currently 42 degrees, a high of 65 later on. And last night in the NBA, Bulls lose to Clippers 108-103, and the Lakers beat Knicks 129-123. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. Uh, Kevin, am I a jinx every time I watch these Bulls, they lose? I feel like getting uh, Angelica back here and say, who cares, all they do is lose. <laughs> well, I, I'm willing, perfectly willing to blame you for it. Yeah, I just, uh, the last, uh, they, they seem to have this fourth quarter Let's give the ball to DeRozan every single time, and if the guy does, all of a sudden he's been a little uh, remiss, I don't know if he's hurt or whatever, he doesn't. He's not magic, and all of a sudden they just lose. They 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 use another kind of offense the rest of the game in the fourth quarter. They just do one on one, and it hasn't working out so hard. They, they are a stupid basketball team, <laughs> and, they're, and they're guys that are older. Pressure is on. They revert to a bad style of basketball after playing a whole game of you know moving the ball quickly, sharing it, getting you know, and getting everybody involved. And, and it's very effective, and then they get the crunch time and they revert to one-on-one basketball instead of what was successful. These guys are just not the brightest bulbs on the Christmas tree. It doesn't seem like the coach can help them out at all. If they don't want to listen or they only listen when they want to or something, I don't know, it's crazy. You know, the players tune out coaches. They, they do. Um, you know, you, what, what it really takes um, is it takes a really good leader on the team and that everybody respects or at least fears, you know, whatever it is, but a leader on the team so that all the coach has to do is talk to the leader and the leader will convey the messages. Um, you know, e- even, you know, I mean, that was, Phil Jackson was really good at that. Right? He, he, he developed relationships with Jordan, Jordan, with Pippen. He really nurtured those relationships. And once he got them on board, they started winning championships because all he had to do was get Michael to do something and get Michael to deliver the message, and everybody followed it. Well, yeah, he bought in, and, and uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> to a certain extent, Wilt did that too. I mean, uh, when he decided to become an assist guy and pass the ball, <clears throat> I guess everybody else had to follow suit, right? You weren't going to argue with Wilt. I mean, uh, yeah, otherwise he'd knock, knock you on your butt. Yeah. Um, and, so what's and, you know, so it, it, it really, you know, that, that's really the formula, and I suspect that, you know, I don't, I don't see the Bulls very much, so I, I, I can't say what, you know, I can't observe anything one way or the other, but generally you can observe. You can see who sort of takes charge of things on the court. You can see, you know, who speaks up in, in a huddle, and, uh, and 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 how the others react to it. So I, I just you know I, I I suspect that's what's going on with the Bulls, um, but I I would have to actually observe it myself. Well, the Knicks have been uh, get back to this thing. That's how I kind of started this whole sports thing. Although I never always get to where I want to get. <laughs> uh, he did some. We had a press conference and he talked about some high school kid wanting eight hundred grand or something out of the gate, and he told me he wasn't going to give it to him, go somewhere else. And then he. He locked up with it. I don't. I can't imagine he has any lo- love loss for Jimbo Fisher because they're sort of the same sort. I can't thing. imagine anybody does. Yeah, yeah I can't okay. either. So <laughs> the uh, um, so here's here's one guy said uh, Fisher and Nick Saban. These two just called each other's wives fat. You know, <laughs> it's the nature of their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but now he's talking about those guys are buying their whole team, and he he probably is into it, but he doesn't want to be outbid. I mean, I. 
uh, you know, he's saying there needs to be some sort of regulation or whatever, some uniformity in how much you can pay these kids out of high school and all this other kind of stuff. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong, but I don't know how where that's going to come from. Do you? Well, I've said this on the show a lot of times. It needs to be separated from the athletic departments. Now, that's not going to fix everything, um, but, you know, do you trust, you know, to, to, to have a lot of money flowing, um, and, uh, and and they, they need to have at least an arm's-length relationship with some of the, uh, uh, some of these funding uh, groups that are involved, um, because, but do you trust uh, Jimbo Fisher no. to to run it ethically and and to be upfront? I don't. Well, I don't like uh, I don't like somebody else if he's the coach. I don't like uh, you know o- O'Neill the the company of O'Neill and Byrne paying the guy's salary either. I don't think that's fair. That, that's right. No, I, I understand that, and and the ultimate solution may be just to make him employees, um, and and to do that, and that that would sort of eliminate the last layer of hypocrisy in the system. Um, yeah, except but I think we're still a ways away from that because the schools really like the, the employment model that they have now, and they're willing to put up with a lot of nonsense because what happens is even if you even if you say football is paying the freight for every scholarship in the athletic department, for you know maybe basketball pay its own way, uh, but uh, but you talk about the women's sports, you talk about your rowing team, your baseball team, your, you know whatever else that's not profitable, and you just attribute that to football. So sure, these schools want any part of them paying these kids a million bucks. Right. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. First of all, they like the model that they have because it's cheap. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is it's it's not it's an inexpensive payroll. Secondly, they don't have to deal with collective bargaining, workman's comp, labor law of any kind. Uh, currently, it's, you know, this is yeah. for them. It's an extracurricular activity. They don't have to worry about hostile workplaces. They don't have to worry about. Um, uh, oh shoot! You know, EEOC. Uh, it, none of that is on the table for them. So, yeah, they they like the arrangement as it is. They may they may bitch about it a little bit, but in general, they like it, and they don't. You know, the status quo is uh, is very beneficial to the schools. Well, I like the part where if a kid needs knee surgery three years later, they don't even have to pay, or, or if they, maybe some of the better ones do, but most of them don't. I mean, uh, it's. I mean, the whole, but I, I think they're walking down a road here. I don't see how, in the future, the Notre Dame football team has a $50 million payroll and somehow $48 million of it is outside the university being paid for by other people. How, who are these other people year after year? I mean, I, I guess it's, it's going down that road now, but... Well, and, and that gets to be how do, how do the athletes balance their responsibilities to, to whom? You know, yeah. uh, and you know, and and ultimately, do these funding people? I suppose, uh, you know, just like uh, uh, alumni who've been paying uh, athletes all along under the table, I suppose they have some kind of interest in, uh, 
in the uh, the success of the team and and may behave accordingly. But you could get some real odd competing interests in there, including gambling interests. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, the play. I'm not so sure you didn't see some of that in the refereeing last weekend of football games. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it was it was fairly bad. Uh, but I, you know, here's here's the one thing I will say. I was actually I was talking to a couple people last night. One who knows a boatload of sports, all kinds of different, you know, tennis and all these other kind of sports that I don't know anything about. Well, I know what tennis is, but I, if you asked me who won the U.S. Open two years ago, I'd be uh, duh duh duh. Uh, and another one was a m- attorney friend of mine, and and I basically went through what I what I perceive as the payment scheme now. One is essentially the per diem the schools can give everybody, right? Can't they give kids five hundred hours a week, or depending on the conference? Where at least there's some spending money for the football player, baseball player, hockey, whatever it is, right? There is a, uh, a formula that the schools have always published that is the cost of attending our school over and above tuition, room, and board. Yes. And in some cases, they'll tell you it's $5,000. In other cases, they'll tell you it's 2500 It's like all of your incidental exper- uh, right. expenses to it. So and that's and that's what they have been for several years now allowed to um, pay the athletes. Right, so there's there's piece number one. Piece number two is if you actually have something in your back pocket, uh, if you're a, a young lady who happens to be a model, you know, which a lot of them are, are certainly capable of that. If you're a guy, you, maybe you can uh, you can you know be in a movie during the summer or something, or you can actually or a kid from uh, Arizona or uh, Southern Cal. What's his two gigs? He's, uh, he does uh, uh, online stuff or whatever. The the thing I think that the Supreme Court, I'm not going to, boy, I'm going to go down this road, may have intended that you get to do those things even if you're on scholarship and you own your own stuff. I mean, if you're a girl, there can be a runway model. Uh, I don't think you need to give that money to the school just because you play volleyball. I mean, I, I certainly agree with the Supreme Court on that piece. And then there's this whole new area where we don't know who's paying who for what. But I, I will say this, Kevin, and I'm very, very seldom dogmatic, but but I know the I know the business world and I know business people, and just because they have money, <coughs> absolutely does not mean they want to piss it away to anybody else. I mean, there's going to be your boosters that you know will give you know fifty grand a year for the the love of Notre Dame or Texas A and M or God knows where. I mean, those guys are are out there. I mean, I don't know if they're buying indulgences or what they're doing, but but the idea that you and I or anybody else coughs up a million bucks with ten other people <coughs> to form a a Brady Quinn kind of thing, just use that name, or there's going on in every school. Those guys had better have a profit model, or at least a break-even model, because you, you can't go back to the same person, in my opinion, every year and get the same million bucks and say we just pissed it away. I mean, I think. Yeah. Well, and and I know how the Quinn thing works, and and it is a, a it's a not-for-profit, um, but uh, and it and it's aimed at very specific, um, you know, like. Uh, um, you know, uh, um, you know, social, you know, social consciousness endeavors for the players. You know what, what, you know what's what's your passion? Good. Let's get you paired up with somebody who's willing to hire you to be a spokesperson, and that's fine. That you know that that's that's just fine. Olivia Miles is really big into the Humane Society, as a, you know, as an example. But that's that's not that's not the more typical. The more typical is that they just form these pools of people, and and there's a bunch of money, and they divide it up among the anything if they have to do anything or not uh, uh, to, uh, to get you know to get the money and that's not I, I'm sure that's not what the uh, Supreme Court envisioned 
But and I don't know how the NCAA is letting that proceed because if they're going to have this charade of you know uh, amateur student athletes, um, then you know if just just being a conduit for uh, for paying them makes no sense. At that point, they might as well be employees. On the other hand, if you're um, you know, if if you're a Michael Mayer and uh, and there's a line of clothing that you represent, and you're doing uh, a bunch of you know internet advertising for them, uh, which is what a lot of this is, is that you know yeah. people you know they they get you you know you basically you're a model, and uh, and they or or a spokesperson of some kind, and you show up in the uh, the kinds of internet ads that uh, you know you might see on a Google or something like that. Um, and, uh, and and you actually do something in exchange, well, then you can evaluate that the revenue derived from it is worth the expense. But just, you know, having a big fund of money and saying, Here, here's everybody's slice of it, that makes no sense to me at all. Well, if not, you're gonna, not in this context. Well, you're going to have to, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of rules that Luke can talk about tomorrow, but if if you're requiring the person to show up at a 7 o'clock weight practice, that sure sniffs like an employee, right? Uh, now, who, if you're requiring them to show up and not to coach because you're the one paying them, uh, that's going to. But, but I guess where I'm heading, Kevin, is how these organizations are. Like I said, I, I think I know these people. I've been around them my whole life. Well, my whole life's I've been on the trading floor. If if we pony up the million bucks, if we had it to pony up and we were foolish enough to want to do it, uh, the person talking to us, you know, be it Brady Quinn or whatever, he, he can say all he wants about. Uh, non-profit, not-for-profit doesn't mean nobody makes any money. There's going to be people on top of this thing that run it. And whoever they are, they got to get paid something. And then there's got to be... Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see, uh, you know, are they paying people on the board of directors, for example? They must have an executive director. That person expects to get paid. So, yeah, I, I get you on that, Tom. But what I'm, saying, but, but what I, what I'm telling you is that that's not, that's not the problem because that is expecting service in yeah, exchange for... Uh, not, for not the let, money, you're not it, let me the, get to the, the problem is the people who are not expecting service in exchange. For right, but you're, you're not letting me get to the bottom line here. For one, to be sustainable, in my opinion, that's kind of what I'm asking your opinion. On. For this to be sustainable, and I use, I keep using Brady Quinn, and I don't, but it, somehow or another, if there are services provided, be it speaking engagements, be it autographs, whatever it is, at some point, the the revenue to that place has to exceed. What you're giving the people. In other words, if we start out with ten million dollars net net capital at the beginning of the year, we can't piss away the entire ten million and then go back to the same people next year and say, "I want another million. I don't think that dog hunts. I mean, it, I, I think somewhere along the line, if we go to PTI Securities, if you can talk, if you can talk to my brother to do this, good luck. Uh, you know, if we want to have, uh, you know, whatever, some some quarterback or some gorgeous girl from the basketball team or any girl from the basketball team on PTI's logo. I'm going to say that PTI is going to be paying this firm 80 grand, and he or she's going to be getting 40, because you got you got to cover your your expense. You're, you're not going to give it. It's, it's not all going to be a pass through. It can't be because right. you're going to I, be, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, and so so what are these businesses going to quote look like, and how are they going to define themselves? <clears throat> they're they're hirees or hirers of athletes to do stuff that they market to other people. Is essentially what it comes down to, in my in my opinion. How else can you define it? 
Well, and, and I, I, it will be interesting because they're going to have to start publishing financial statements, right. especially the ones that are set up as a not-for-profit. Um, they, they are going to have to have uh, public filings, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what this next round of it's going to look like. Well, because it's not going to be tax-deductible if it's an LLC you're putting together. It's a business. It's another right, company. Right, but LLC will not be. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, 501c, whatever number is applies, uh, would be... Uh, 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 applicable. Well, if you piss away the dough, so, you know, so, so we go back, go yeah. back to go back to what uh, what Quinn's you know group is doing. That is going to be in that model, and we will have to we will get to see it. Um, the the question is, are some of the others set up as LLCs or as they uh, you know as, as C, even C corporations? You know what what is their uh, business structure? And uh, I think for my business law class, I'm going to make that somebody's project. Well, I mean, I think you know what I what I'd love to talk about, Kevin, and, and it wouldn't be it'd be more of a if you ever had me for one of the classes. This whole concept of of quote profit. I mean, it, that I I can't think honestly right now, Kevin. I can't think of a of a slipperier word than profit. How do you even define it? I mean, when, when I was in grad school, uh, you you define it well. Profit is the money that goes to shareholders, and that's what you're supposed to be maximizing. That's that's not the story anymore. I mean, if all of a sudden <coughs> one of these things gets together, and the five people that put it together, uh, all of a sudden are making three hundred grand a year, and they're and for every time, uh, you know, young Kevin O'Neill shows up, with, you know, at somebody's pizza joint. The pizza guy is paying a thousand bucks, and Kevin's getting four hundred, and uh, this money just gets sopped away. I mean, none of it flows through to the LLC people. There's never anything left, okay? It would be necessarily profit, but it sure as hell profit for me <clears throat> if I'm the CEO and I'm making half a million a year. Quote expenses, and profit profit is becoming the most. It's like <laughs> what they say in the South Side. The, uh, the 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 term uh, s h i t can mean about mean about forty different things in in, in, about, in, in forty different pronunciations. Uh, uh, you know that's that's the term profit is starting to get to the same way. I mean, you can't tell me. Well, it it, it is. I, I think you know it 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 also depends on the si- on the business itself. Um, you know, in in my area, we have some large corporations, and it's exactly like you're describing. What does it mean? But most of what you see when you see these like manufacturing companies with 100 employees or something like that is, you know, first of all, they care a whole lot. They're, they tend to care about cash flow more than oh, sure. than you're used to seeing uh, because it, you know, whatever else you do, you still have to make payroll. <laughs> so that 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 motivation never goes away. But they they have a tendency to be EBITDA driven. Um, they they just care whether they're uh, they're churning cash positive or negative on a day in day out basis and and uh, and they'll evaluate capital expenditures on a case by case basis but they really aren't part of the uh, financial equation for the most part for mo- uh, most companies uh, in, you know, most companies in that range so these aren't these are not stock exchange companies they're you know they they, they have a a totally different way of life and. Uh, and profit means what you've always thought it means. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I said right now, no, you, you care about your taxable income. Uh, so, it, so profit in that regard, as it pertains to tax, is one calculation. And you'll have people who are advising on taxes and and trying to help you minimize that. But by and large, you know, you're looking at one of the variations. You're either looking at EBITDA or cash flow. Well, but, and I'm saying right now today. 
those definitions in my mind have gotten amazingly expanded to where I could I think I could poke fun at just about every one of them. I mean, let's just say for instance the CBOE and this is 25 years ago and these people are all deceased and and they were really good people and I'm not and I'm not saying they didn't deserve deserve it whatever that even means. But we had a chairman uh, who was a good guy, and uh, he, was, he had well connected. And I, you know, God, I'd love to have him back. Uh, but the, uh, the the CBOE revenue-wise was, you know, pick a number: two hundred fifty million dollars a year, something like that. And which put him in a very mid-sized company in the Chicago area with that revenue. Now, granted, there was all kinds of other stuff you did, uh, but and then you had a, a skill set, but. In terms of company size, not not so big. And uh, so, let's say the chairman made a million bucks, million two, million five, or something. And now CBOE was a not for profit. Now, which is weird, Kevin, because most people think that non profit means non profit. No, it doesn't. They were set up as a not for profit place because the members owned it. It was actually the same model of a country club, believe it or not. Because the members of a country club own the whole place, the land, everything, and the, and the, the members of the CBOE own the whole place. Okay, so so if you actually had extra traditional profit at the end of the year, you paid taxes on it, even though it was a not-for-profit. So they would do stuff like the last month, if they knew they were going to make $5 bucks, they would have a three-week period where you, nobody had to pay any fees or something. So they basically eat away at the five million. So if you paid any taxes, yeah, throw a party, whatever it is, you have whatever you had to do. But now I'm going to say that the, it's Brewster's millions. Yeah. So say the, the, the man's name was Duke Chapman. Again, I really like the guy. Uh, say he made a million five, and I don't, you know, I don't recall what he those days. Uh, even though I voted for all of it, uh, and, and the the average salary of all the other places of that size in the city of Chicago was three hundred thousand. I'm going to say, in my new definition of profit, that million two is profit. It's just going somewhere else other than shareholders. And I'm going to say virtually every corporation right now out there that, that the profit is not sinking down. Anytime somebody on the, on, the, on the top floor or on the board gets a payment that you wonder that is above, shall we say, competitive, I'm going, to, I'm going to count that as profit in today's world. I mean, the idea Notre Dame is not for profit when that guy Scott Malpass was making $2 million a year. Come on, Kevin. That's profit. It's just it's just not going to any shareholder, right? Yeah. I'm just just saying. I mean, that's my new definition. But I think you could you have a hundred different definitions of profit. It's like it's like now we have everybody gets their own definition of recession. No, I don't think that's a recession. If this is happening, okay. Well, that's we don't have one anymore. Now it's like moral relativism. Everybody gets to decide what's right and yeah. wrong. By the way, speaking of recession, let me throw a couple lob a couple of things out there, and maybe you and Russell can talk about them. Um, Business investment, almost all inventory growth in the last uh, um, GDP report. Yep. Almost, it's almost all inventory growth that you know is going to have to stop and is going to have to be liquidated before they replenish it. Um, half of the, uh, it, it's, it's like half of the GDP uh, um, growth was uh, inventories. And uh, real disposable income, off a trillion dollars in, in 22. That's good. That's good. That's what caused the rally yesterday. People, people's income less than expected. This is, this yeah, is this so anybody that, that's that's for all the the clowns who think that we are experiencing a wage uh, driven inflation. Um, Kevin, if you listen to TV and, all day uh, long, you'll find and real wages real real wages just can't keep up with inflation. Now, 
yeah, I know you're going to say if, if you listen to TV, but you, um, I, I see a lot of people on uh, on Fox Business, Kenny included, uh, who uh, who will uh, contradict that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Kenny. Uh, matter of fact, I asked him uh, Tuesday, which would have been yesterday. I said, "Is there any way during the '70s and '80s when everybody, <clears throat> the age of 35 and 45, will talk about wage-driven inflation and how that was one of the big causes of the of the previous inflation?" I asked Kenny, does anybody think, who has, an, who has a real brain cell, who's actually researched the, this product, and I'll ask Russell this, does anybody think that between the, age, the years of 70 and 82, or 84, that labor was a, was a net winner versus inflation? He goes, hell no. And yet, you hear it all day long. Oh, God, these, these wages caused the... the, the yeah, the I, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of idiots out there. <laughs> well, it just, it just, it's, it's before their time, they don't research. It's like me talking about what happened during the Civil War. Well, I wasn't here. I mean, I get to research it, but... I, then I'm at the I'm the I'm the, I'm the PN of the guy writing the article, right? SP Futures down eight, and SP Futures down four. Kevin, thank you. Talk to you Friday. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, Professor Russell Rhodes. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose for whatever reason. 
I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Well, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 1050. NASDAQ Futures down 9. We're having a little problem finding Russell. Uh, Matt, uh, who is that? I bl- that's Del Shannon. And what was the theme song of what? <laughs> Chicago-based song? Uh, he keeps movie? telling me, and I keep forgetting. Uh, it was uh, Crime Story. With the, okay. The, the late Dennis Farina, who was actually a Chicago cop. Wow. So it was all Chicago related I have, local. I have, uh, I have the whole... Series, not because I, I know how it ended, so I don't need to watch the shows again. <laughs> but the, the 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 shows of the Chicago area just oh, spectacular. Wow. There was a uh, one show from the seventies, I want to say, uh, night was it Night Stalker or Night Watcher with uh, Darren McGavin? Yeah, and uh, you know it takes place in Chicago. You know the story, but if you look in the background, it's it's very clearly a Los Angeles set. Uh, oh god! Well, this was actually yeah. filmed in in Chicago. I, I mean, like that. Yeah. Well, we watched even Chicago PD. You know, right what they're talking about. A lot of it's filmed on a Chinatown bridge. And oh yeah. A lot of it. Well, are you going to try and track down Mr. Flanagan or someone? Yeah, we'll do that. Sounds good. All right. Just uh, we'll go through some of these earnings and stuff that are coming out here. I uh, I know I constantly am talking to everybody, but how do you how do you determine how how well we're doing here as a country? I mean, how do you how do you determine whether or not you put your your uh, your people's money in. How, how do you determine how much you want to protect it? Even simple stuff. If you want to, if you want to buy, uh, you know, pick a stock. If you want to buy Chevron Texaco, and you buy it for 173, and you want to protect it. Well, do you do you buy the 70 70 puts? Do you buy the 65 60s? Are you looking for Armageddon protection, where you're you're very uh, convinced that the market's sound and the companies are sound and you're only looking for you know an asteroid hit in New York kind of protected, where you can buy the 55 puts. Where if it, you know, if the thing opens up at 100 one day, you've at least picked 55 hours up of the of the 75 you just lost, and you figure that's good enough. Uh, it's it, it is it is very difficult right now, in my opinion, as as you start to see different parts of the economy do different things. And when you talk about this recession, I mean, everybody obviously is getting a feel that I have a it frosts me when people start wandering about with these definitions because in my definition um, if you're looking at an individual I'm going to say the reason why I, I didn't I didn't think this way myself the uh, person I have to blame is uh, uh, William Kennedy who wrote the uh, uh, what was it uh, Freedom from Truth uh, uh, and he uh, had to do with the, de- uh, the U.S. during the Depression of World War II and how much stuff people just take as for granted that really wasn't true. I mean, 
you were to ask just about anybody who wasn't there, because none of nobody, nobody's around who was there during the twenties. I mean, you would say, "Oh my God, it was a go-go time." I mean, it was. Matter of fact, if you want to see what happened during the twenties and the advancements that were made, uh, I, I well, I'd go to two places, I and mean, I'm sure there's more. I mean, if any kind of uh, industries probably have a museum like that somewhere, but I would go to the uh, either the Wright Patterson Museum down in uh, Dayton which is absolutely spectacular, and you look to see the advances in aerodynamic aerospace during the during the uh, 20s and into the into the mid 30s. Considering you know the first guy flew in what 1912, and here we're talking about you know 20 years later, and now there's planes going hundreds of miles an hour. I mean, it's unbelievable the advancements. And if you went to the Auburn Duesenberg Cord Museum in Auburn, Indiana, hence the name Auburn. Uh, you see all the advances in the history of the automotive industry during the 20s. If you look at all that stuff, you'd be convinced that everybody was being pulled along by, you know, you know, by a by a by a tugboat, and and you couldn't screw up if you wanted to during the 20s. That was absolutely absolutely a falsehood. The most of society was didn't share in this at all. If you if you talk to just about anybody who doesn't know anything, which you know a lot of people don't know a lot about a lot of stuff, I don't. Russell, you're here, bud. I'm here. I was uh, I was just giving everybody a, a little bit of a uh, like a, a, a diatribe on how difficult it is to try and determine how well people are doing. And I was giving examples of the 20s where if you looked at automotive design changes, aerospace design changes, the market, and if you were to talk to just about anybody, I bet you could walk down the halls of the economists at University of Indiana, and you would, if you asked them about these the stock market during the 20s, one of the people, even though he's a learned professor, would say, "Yeah, everybody was involved." That's total BS. There's only seven. Uh, only everybody in New York City was involved. Yeah, but seven percent of the population. You no, know, the two-time boy and all those people. But no, every, you know the the Okies were not involved. <laughs> no, and, and, uh, they were living in a dust bowl. Yeah, what I was saying is, is your is your the rest of society was in this uh, tremendous. I use the term recession all during the twenties. And a few business, a few people, sharecroppers, coal, coal miners, were certainly in a depression. So I'm, what I'm trying to do, since everybody now has decided, you get to define a recession as well how you want it. Uh, but yesterday we had a such an 80-point spoo rally based, mm-hmm. well, I'm not sure it was based on it because we have a momentum market anyway right now, which seems to want to go up. But based on a, uh, a, 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 a term, they turned on an economic report that said that people's income uh, personal income was less than expected, so the idea that we're gonna we're gonna crown some of these companies and it's really good for them if they don't have to pay people very much, even though I mean, we're talking you know tenths of a percent, but they add up uh, because their prices are higher. Then you talk about GM, and I honestly don't know how this all plays out, Russell. I mean that's why I wanted to ask. I mean, do we can we really cheer every single month? That people are falling far further and further behind in, by inflation, and we do we really can we cheer General Motors with incredible price prices on their cars and trucks now, or do we or do we come to some day when hey the guy who isn't getting a raise no longer can buy that truck or car is, is there a day of reckoning or are these places so insulated now because we had uh, Professor Snar yesterday Hal Snar talk about he wasn't as nice as uh, Lou saying we have a a lot of it has turned into this fascist economic system, and he, of course, called it Nazi. But I think it was more—it was there long before Hitler. It, the, I'll use it—the the European model. 
three or four companies in every industry with their nose right up the ass of government. I mean, the perfect example in this country, I think, is the baby formula group, right? There's like four of them to make it. Half the money comes from government, and you're, there's never going to be a fifth. I mean, how, how many industries do you think are like that? They're, they're I'll use the term, recession-proof, right? How can, they, how can you possibly mess with them? Their, their prices aren't coming down. They're getting paid for by the government, for God's sake. I mean, mm-hmm. how many industries are sort of like that? Then there's the other industry where maybe somebody who's worked his whole life has a million dollars in the bank, and now after the last five years of inflation, his million dollars is worth six fifty, and he's nowhere near as wealthy as he was. But I mean, there, all this stuff is going up and down. I guess how do you? What number would you? How would you define a recession now? Since everybody gets to do it by themselves, so I, I think eighty percent of the people have been in recession for a decade. But that's just me. Yeah, and I think you just, gosh, if you got if you had to go back to the drawing board and and determine what a recession, you know, and 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 say this is how I'm going to go about defi- defining a recession. I can't come up with anything that I think would be much better than um, you know measuring GDP. Okay. Uh, the, the problem with it is there's such a lag in the numbers that we get that you know we'll be in a recession for several months before they actually say, "Oh yeah, that was a recession." That's a big problem. Yeah, it's a a big issue right there. But that, it, it, that I've been thinking about that because I was listening to you guys during the first hours. Like, well, what, if it were up to me, how would I go about you know? defining what is a recession and GDP is probably the best thing we got okay but now now would you trust I use that term uh, and I I had a little bit of a rant the other day when I was when I was saying that when you when you talk about politics and I'll I'll say it again real quick if you talk about politics you you can have I guess you can have your, your views on abortion gun control you know should we go to war with God knows who but those kinds of of uh, things notwithstanding, which are obviously very important, uh, politicians essentially run for office, competing, saying, "I can I can run your city, uh, city, town, state, federal government. I can run it more efficiently than the next person, and I'm going to be able to tax you less." And, oh, by the way, I've been still going to get the police to do their job and the garbage picked up and the Army to work and all that. It really comes down to a, a management-type thing. But in order to do that, you can't have those people fudging the numbers. And I really do believe they're fudging the numbers right now. I mean, I, I did. We didn't have a show last week because uh, poor Andrew was sick. But uh, So Carl, of course, sent me some stuff. And uh, you, I, I guess I should be working for you or something as one of your, one of your dudes. He sent me mm-hmm. a thing about the... Uh, the, uh, the PCE deflator. I wanted to kind of run this by you. So I went, uh, now we've had, you know, the, the D- GDP was, what, 2.9% uh, first first shot at fourth quarter last year. All right, so I w- now that number is a nominal number uh, subtracted out the in- influence of inflation, correct? Well, I went back mm-hmm. the last year, Carl sent me all these numbers. because I, He finds all this crap I can't. Anyway, it's, it shows a 4% average inflation rate for each of the last three years, 2020, 2021, 2022, which to me is an absolute bull bleep number. And I just went through a couple things here. Uh, that the uh, the average price of a new house quarter one, 2020, was 329 and now it's 467 so that's 14% per year. The average price of a new car is up 8.3% per year, and that doesn't count people having to pay over a list sometimes. So here's 
two massive things that people have. Both are, well, we're averaging out here at like 12, and these guys are telling us it's 4.7. So I, I guess you, mm-hmm. can, you can pee on my shoes and tell me it's raining for a little while, but at some point I'm going to say, I don't think it's raining. You're just getting my shoes wet. And by the way, they smell. I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. I mean how, how do you, at some point, it's almost like we're, we're uh, institutionally lying over over years and years and years, Russell, and and I, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't. My job isn't to get on TV and every time somebody says something's good for me to say it's bad. But how, how do you even how do you deal with that stuff? I mean, I mean, you're a professor. You you've got you know you're, you're trying to teach other people. What, what do you tell them? I mean, these numbers are just not right. And if and if you had a, if you had a PCE deflator of six and a half percent, guess what? We 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 we've gone nowhere for 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 two decades. No, I think I, we have most. It does feel like we have gone nowhere for the last couple of decades, for sure. But you know, it, it's just, you're you're throwing a giant macro thing out there at me, and I'm, I'm just trying to think of all the different facets involved in you know. But you know what? I think maybe if you, if you really wanted to, a recession is almost like you know. What's happening to individual people? Yes, I would agree. As opposed to, you know, I mean, Bill Gates never experiences a recession. No. So, how do you, you know, how do you take it down to what's happening to the majority of people? And I don't think there's a good measure that can, you know, that you could really quantify and say that's when we were in a recession in the past. I, I'm really. I'm struggling on that one. Well, I am too. I, I feel like, I feel like we have the best measure that we have, and I I don't think I I I know a lot of people think they fudge the numbers. I don't think they fudge the numbers. I just think they're kind of incompetent when they put the numbers together. I think, I think there's I think there's people who uh, I I, I'm, I'm, I think, this is just gonna I, I hate to and actually you know I'm I'm a professor at Indiana so I am a government worker, um, but you know the when, when you I'll use the compliance example here. Um, the the real, the people that are really really good um, at compliance are working for Citadel. They're not working for Fenra. Right. And you know the it, it, you know maybe maybe we get a non-government entity to start calculating these things that have no skin in the game. But how long does it take until somebody start till Somebody starts trying to influence them and tell them that they need to calculate well, things it, it, a little bit differently. I'm going I'm to do something you will never believe. I'm going to agree with you totally. I, I don't think that the person who uh, is, is, is digging out the, the price of gasoline or the price of uh, brown rice is, is doing an incompetent job. I think, I think they're doing fine. I, what, I, what I am somewhat concerned about, and I don't know how you do this, Russell, but uh, once in a while you, you, you have to look back I mean, let's, I'll give a really stupid example. If somebody somebody gains, you know, whatever, a tenth of a pound a week or something, and you would say, well, that's not very much, and all of a sudden you look at the guy 20 years ago and he was 200 pounds and now he's 350, you say, whoa. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow, what happened to you? You put arrows on your toe. I mean, I mean, I, I, at some point you've got to look back and say, uh, you know, my like for instance, the one I heard the other day, is if you look at the CPI and you look at rent. Now, why rent is so much less than owner, owner's, owner-occupied owner rent, I don't know, but rent will be 7.5% of somebody's basket. 
Yet mm-hmm. Morgan Stanley came out the other day, and if you heard the headline, I think it was, I, you know what, I think it was Morgan Stanley. They did a study and said for the first time, people's rent of their establishment has exceeded 30% of their take-home pay. Well, how, how can somebody who puts out the CPI, and I don't, I don't think the person who's looking at the rent prices is making this call, but somebody somewhere is saying, I think we should keep this rent number down to 7%, even though everybody in the world knows it's 30 I, I'm dying to know who, who makes that call at what level. You know, I, you're making me think through better measures now, and, and a part of me is thinking if you could, if you, if you just segment out the, the population, the, the, the bottom 80% of the population, because, you know, there, there's, you know, the top 20% is doing extremely well, and try to measure what their day-to-day life is and what their day-to-day costs are, you know, I mean, if, if rent's like 7%, you know, they're, they're looking at it as a big macro thing, not at an individual level. Uh, you know, if you're looking at the average American, yeah, and, and I always cite my sister on this one, um, my sister's rent is about, she pays me rent, uh, and she pays about half what she would in regular rent in, in Memphis. Um, I think rent would be about a third of her, you know, about yeah, a third of what I would agree. every every month. And then the car payment would probably be, you know, not another third, but, you know, a sixth of it. So transportation and housing right there is almost 40-something percent. Well, the, the, the media... And, that, and, and that's how it is for, you know, that's, that's how it was in my household when we were growing up. Well, but how's, how does a guy, a guy like you... The, the, cars and the, the cars and the house payment were easily half of what my parents, because my parents didn't do particularly well. Um, but if there's, a, if there's a way that we could, instead of like the overall economy, drill down to an economic measure that looks at you know, the day-to-day people that live check to check. Well, and, I have to say, how where can... does their money go? Because you know, we've, we've beaten the crap out of the CPI on, the, on this show. And the that that is not a breakdown of, of people's average budget. No, but but it, but it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I'm saying. I mean, you 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 got me. You you, you actually have me. Uh, I I just got something from the school saying if you have any really good grant ideas of a major study you'd like to do, uh, here's how you go about getting that grant. You you, you we we may have a stocks and jocks grant. Uh, well, but but how is it? I mean, even if you're. If you if you're the, I'm not gonna say if you're the president or if you're a senator or whoever the hell you are, uh, mm-hmm. it, it'd be all you have to do, uh, Russell, is if you go to the the usdebtclock.org and you and, or just Google it. I mean, suppose you're, you're Senator Durbin, you say, "Gee, how much do people like make?" Well, you know, I'm sitting here in the ivory tower. All you have to do I'm is say, yeah. you know, all you have to, all you have to do is say, "What's the median income in this country?" Well, the median income is what for an individual is what I'm going to be nice here and say thirty nine thousand forty, something like that forty one, and you and you say okay, and, and, but all you do is open your eyes, try and find any place that you can get rent for less than a G. I'm talking That's about a studio. You know that is exactly what I pay in Indiana. Yeah, and one of my neighbors, I I talked to him on the elevator yesterday or a couple of days ago. Uh, it was actually a couple, and they were coming back from the doctor because they had both gotten bitten by a bat in their apartment. Hey. 
Um, so that gives you an idea of what a thousand bucks gets in Indiana. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, but, but, yeah, I mean, but, but, this but, is a hole. I, and, but even so I think I think I think you're being generous when you say a thousand. Okay, but I'm saying even even yeah, and I'm using the guy's name. And I, I don't have a problem with him. Even Senator Durbin, I don't, I don't, he's driving in the back of his limousine, should say, "Gee, people are making thirty nine thousand and the rents a grand." It's, it's it's well. What's thirty nine thousand a month? It's three grand, a little over three grand, right? Okay. Well, duh. It's, it looks. It sounds like thirty percent to me. Not not seven. I mean, I mean, he, somebody must look at this. They go, what, what what are you what are you trying to throw by me here? If it was twenty eight or twenty nine, I can roll with it. But but seven. I mean, really. So the 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 top ten percent to to be in the top ten percent, you need to make a little over one hundred and seventy five thousand bucks. Um, I, I actually read some stuff uh, recently. So, uh, so that you know, may, maybe you know, everybody below that number. Well, the top and and try to try to quantify what life is like for the proletariat. Oh. <laughs> Just, you know, the workers. Well, I, I think that if you, uh, you know, if, if how can I how can I say this succinctly that. Uh, recently, I have, I have something here that I just filed. Now, of course, I don't know where I put it. Uh, I had to do with the, you can't even look at the top 10% anymore, Russell, because let, let's say, let's say, for instance, you're in the top 10%. You know, I don't know if you are or you aren't. I wish, I hope you are. If you're in, you're in the, the bottom nine of the top 10, according to this thing I just read, you're not doing so hot either. It's only the top, the top 10% of the top 10% that have made all the money in the last three years, between the government programs and the stock market and other stuff. That even you mean all the all the excess money, all the excess dough went to those people. Yeah. That even that if, if you when I say if you're in the top ten percent, it's because it's because you have a job as a professor and you have other stuff. I'll just say other stuff going. That mm-hmm. if if you're there, that's what puts you there. But I don't see any of those places giving you a forty percent raise in the last year. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, it'd be, I mean, as much as uh, if anything, if anything, uh, one thing went the other direction. Yeah. When I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, you know, Indiana, I'm sure uh, loves you and we're willing to pay to keep you there. I don't know if there's a forty percent raise at any college anywhere. Have you? No. Was, I, I, when I said uh, that, that's the, the consulting firm I do work with. That's the one that went in the other direction. <laughs> okay, but I'm, I'm saying yeah. it's only. Uh, but I'm saying, how do you even determine where the hell you are? And, wh- and how much, I guess, I'm going to drive it back to what Hal was talking about yesterday. How, how, how deeply entrenched are some of these industries that are never going to change? You know, be it the baby formula, be it the hospitals. I mean, I look at, I, I think you could look at a, uh, you know what, I, I need an expert on here. I'm going to say that in 2000, 2000, if you spent a night at Northwestern, it was 600 bucks. And right now, I think it's eleven grand. How do, oh, I'm sure. It's, yeah. How, how do how, how do we how do we get that back? I mean, how could that possibly be eleven grand on any kind of a variable costing approach that doesn't have like all these people at the top making all this dough? I mean, I, I mean, I, how how can you how can you talk about tuition at the University of California when you've got ten indirect people for every professor? I mean, how do you you can't pay professors low enough to make it w- worthwhile, can you? I mean, mm-hmm. the people on the top. I mean, where is all this dough going? I mean, and somehow the the lack of efficiency and I mean, government involvement or something somehow or another, Russell, there almost needs to be an economic revolution of a type here, and I don't know, I don't even know how that would pan out. Would you? 
No. I it, uh, the, the revolution just ends up. It, you know, the, unfortunately, if, if something like that happens, <laughs> um, I feel like we almost. That, something like that happens, I think what the result is government ends up just having a lot more control. Well, the I mean, one that takes over, if we, you know, if we have some sort of an uprising, and, and that that's worrisome in its own right as well. Well, I, I was, uh, oh, unfortunately, I recently I had to get an MRI done, and a lot of people get MRI done, so it's not like it's people get them every day. The, the difference mm-hmm. in cost, there's places that'll do them for 370 bucks. Other places are like six grand for some hospitals. Yeah, how do you if if it how, how do you if 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 somebody can make money at it at at, at three hundred and seventy bucks and do a good job, <clears throat> how the hell is somebody else charging six? I mean, where is all that dough going? Um, a, a lot of it's just uh, a lot of it's going to administer and and run the hospitals. Do people do fairly well at hospitals? But most nonprofit hospitals are, you know, are supposedly non-for-profit or whatever hospitals. Um, they're, you know, they're trying to build themselves up and be bigger and bigger and bigger and offer more and more services. So uh, even though they're not supposed to be making profit, they are accumulating a lot of capital for the next big project. Well, I'm gonna have to break here. That's a, that's what I've learned about uh, that, that just teaching a healthcare class. That's actually what I've learned about where all that money's going because uh, I've asked. Well, after break, I'm going to bring you into the discussion of you. Last part of uh, Kevin's uh, hour, we talked about how would you even define profit today? I'm going to, I'm going to love to get your opinion on that. SP Futures down 10, NASDAQ Futures on 8. Again, this is Fed Day. We're expecting 0.25. Uh, we're expecting a bunch of hawkish stuff, but I think the way the market's telling you, a lot of people are thinking some dovish stuff, but we'll see how that all plays out. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing class. Separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. 
well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Are you listening to me? Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. We had burn on the board. SP Futures down 975. The Nasdaq is down 12. We've been up and down all over the place here. Again, this is no usual to be skittish. But not really one way or the other ahead of a Fed meeting, and it's kind of right where we are. A Fed announcement. The meeting actually started yesterday. So, like I said, we're down uh, 10 on the on the S&P, down 11 on the NASDAQ, which is pales in comparison to the rally yesterday. Dow's down 136, however. Individual stocks, got Amgen down 230, uh, 237. I've got uh, Goldman Sachs down 340. Uh, nothing major, but just a you know, little bit. We were up 3-something yesterday. There's a way of review yesterday. Dow was up 368, S&P up 58, Nasdaq down up 190. So we had well in excess of one percentage moves yesterday. I'm going to have to ask Russell after the break. Do we have these kind of moves in bull markets? Some people would say no, but then again, everything's changing. Uh, DAX up 55. This is today 0.4%. FTSE up 16.2%. Kick around up 15.2%. So moderately bullish over in Europe today. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei up 19. Uh, call that flat. Uh, Hang Seng up 229. Uh, Moving back, gaining back the 1% they lost yesterday. Uh, they're still down on the week because they were down on Monday. Shanghai up 29, that's 0.9%. Shanghai's been strong all week. They were closed last week, as those recall. recall. 10 year down uh, 5 basis points, 3.48. The Bund unchanged, 2.28. Japan hanging right in there, right near their upper end at 0.48. Uh, we've got oil uh, up 50 cents, but still under 80 bucks, 79.38. Uh, so oil really not going anywhere. We're saying it's going 120 barrel, but it's sure not looking like it. Ran up 29 cents, 85.75. Natural gas down another three cents, 265. And one of the most amazing phenomenons. Anybody who would have had the foresight and the, shall we say, the chutzpah uh, to short natural gas when it was at nine bucks would not have been this puppy. I I thought we were going higher. Everybody in Europe thought everybody's going to be freezing, mm. and here we are at like three year lows. It's unbelievable. Our Bob 255. Unchanged. We've got gold up 280, 1948. Silver down 9 cents, 23.74. A copper down 4 cents, 418. We've got Bitcoin up 4 bucks. Call that flat, 23,122. And we've got the U- the U.S. dollar. Uh, actually, we're, we're down a little bit today. The euro is up to 109, and the uh, British pound is at uh, one, 1.234. So the dollar's down a little bit today. It's one of the reasons why gold here has come back. It was down earlier. Matt, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Good morning, currently 7.36 a.m. on February 1st, 2023. 
Earlier accident on the inbound of the Dan Ryan that occurred in the local lanes before Canalport Avenue now cleared up. Traffic back to normal this morning. Weather in Chicago, sunny skies currently right now 9 degrees, a high of 28 later today. As far as the rest of this week, we're looking at mostly clear skies. Temperatures remaining below freezing, though, until this Sunday. Uh, so expect clear skies throughout that time. Uh, clear skies in Phoenix right now, currently 41 degrees, a high of 65 later on. Last night in the NBA, Bulls lose to Clippers, 108-103, and Lakers beat Knicks, 129-123. That's all for now, Chief. Back to you. So, Russell, we have a, a couple of couple of questions um, for for you. One is the uh, how often, how how long can uh, or maybe forever? Uh, how long can we have a couple of things sort of being celebrated, even with the concentration of industries you and I have gone through? How many days can you have the market celebrating not only the uh, the uh, well allegedly yesterday the, the the income number coming in less than people thought or uh, was expected, and then you have your cheering GM because they they can charge more for cars and seem to be getting it. How how long can those two things both happen on the same day and have it be positive for quote the market before the rest of the economy drags be, becomes well, reality? I, I think I, I mean I think the market the the stock market expects that we're gonna that that you know. Some of the economic numbers are not going to be all that high, um, but yeah, you know, and the stock market is is a forward-looking vehicle, and you know when you hear pundits out there saying that uh, you know we get twenty-five basis points today, which is also what the derivative market is saying, um, and we'll get another twenty-five basis point hike, and then that's it. Um, that's what stock investors are thinking about: is that the um, you know, they're looking six, nine months down the road where it looks like maybe we'll be in a recovery and, and the stock market usually discounts those things way in advance. So, and we also, you know, we sold off with the NASDAQ, hell, 30% from our high. Well, 30% from a, 30% from a, uh, a currency induced high. Well, from the high, what a, you yeah. know, you can, you can, you know, discount it, but still, you know, the stocks are, the absolute level of stock market is much lower than it was, you know, this time last year. Yes, I agree. What so? What What do you, you think know, the hangover? And the the interesting part of it is, I really think that it's more institutional than individual people than individuals buying in, because you look at the the kind of instruments that individuals would use to short the market, like the uh, there's an ETF that that allows you to have short exposure to the QQQ. Yep. And they saw record inflows this month. Well, I, I think the uh, and and I feel like that's retail money is not go, but there. But I feel like institutional money is what pushed us higher in January. Well, but you're you're, I want to say a, a, a knowledgeable and active trader. But most people, even if they're bearish, I mean, I had one. I, I wish I would have taped this, Russell. Mm-hmm. Some guy comes to one of my seminars, you know, and I always would ask, you know, there's 25 people sitting in our office and. I always ask, you know, what brings people here? What do you what do you expect to learn? What do you? And one guy says, "I understand you're you're one of the best guys to short the market in the world. I want to learn from you how to short the market." And I said, uh, uh, "Not very bullish, are you?" Oh God, no! This is uh, I think we're going rat hole. And I said, mm-hmm. "Okay, well, without you know giving away what's underneath anybody's skirt, uh, 
what are you doing now? What what are, you, what are your investments look like? Just in general, tell me what you have or whatever. I mean, nobody's business. Mm-hmm. So in general, what do you have? He goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you, do you have any investments? Well, I got this account with cash, and I want you to teach me how to be short. I said, so the only investment you have is this account that's now in cash. Well, not exactly. Well, okay, well, then, duh. And he said, and he mm-hmm. says, well, I got this IR, uh, 401k, and I got this IRA. And I said, I assume they're sizable. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I said, so are you in, what are you in there? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, are you all in cash there? Well, hello. Oh, okay, what are you in? <coughs> I'm in, I'm all in stock and, you know, basically uh, high, high tech and you don't name it, the, the highest, the most, the risky ones you can get in in a mutual fund. I said, mm-hmm. so, so you're sitting here, did, by the way, did you get paid this week? Well, yeah. And I said, so not only are you so bearish you can taste it, but you have 90% of your money in the market that's substantial. And oh, by the way, you bought last week. He goes, I don't, I don't look at it that way at all. I said, well, how do, how do you look at it? I mean, what, what, is the, what, is the, what is the matter with you? I didn't say that. But I mean, how, do you, I mean, how many people do you think are, are, are noticeably bearish? And I, I, think, I think, Russell, what I, what I came across, and please critique me, is especially if people are older in the last 10 years with the market doing it's doing with nobody getting any interest, I think the, the, the stress level of investors was that they would come in and normally if somebody's retired and they're, say, 75, normally, if there isn't such a thing as a normal world, you would expect them to be leaning more towards fixed income if you could get any fixed income, which you, you can now a little bit. Uh, and, and, and so maybe maybe a third in stock, and I'm not giving investment advice, but by and large, because there was no interest, these guys are, are 90% in stock. And that's mm-hmm. the, the stress level is because they're way overrated on the risk curve for somebody who, who's never going to work a day in their life again. And I think that that stress is all through the market. So you have people that are, quote, bearish, but they're flat-ass long and, and, and are not yeah. selling anything. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you ask the attitude, the attitude is bearish, but and maybe the fear is bearish, but the position is is bullish. Is that mm-hmm. fair? I mean, it, what I'm saying? Oh, that's fair, and that, and that that's the consistent flow. I mean, that, it, that that's not uh, speculative type buying, and that's what I was talking about with respect to individuals. But if you if but, you put two hundred bucks, I imagine you have a four hundred one k in Indiana. If you put five hundred bucks in there last week, you just put two hundred and fifty bucks. Oh, I know. In the in the five biggest stocks in the in the uh, in the in the Russell or or, in QQ I, or something. I'm talking about the individual's discretionary, right? Because there's because there's still pretty high levels in money market mutual funds, right? That's and that that's the folks that I don't think have. It. I would be more concerned about the run that we had in January if I saw that number going down. Yeah, because I, I would I would think it was just you know I wouldn't think it was smart money buying into the market. But, what, what, but I actually I actually think that I think. January stock market move was justified, and but, you know we can always compare things to history. This kind of feels like 2009, you know, where we just basically did nothing but go up from March through the end of the year, and there really wasn't a whole lot of good news associated with with that rally. It was just a matter of you know eventually everything was going to be okay, and people were getting into stocks. I I, I would agree with yeah. you. Eighty percent. Here's here's my concern, and please tell me I'm all wet on this because if I am, it'd be great. 
I, I think there's a there's a lesson being learned here that is absolutely the wrong one, in the idea that this COVID situation, we 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 had the we had roughly the greatest stock market rally in in my lifetime, at a time when the economy was shut down, and talk about yeah. when when there was a recession, that that wasn't a recession that was a depression for God's sake. Well, but the, but you had but, a, that was, but but that was unnaturally propped up. I'm saying well, it's, that's my exact that's my yeah. point. Is is, yeah. is we taught a lot of people that if, if we go in the rat hole again, ec- economy wise, you can count on the Fed to prop the market up to where that's the only place to make money. The idea that the market ran up during the entire time we were shut down. I right now I I, I sense Russell. Please tell me I'm wrong because I'd love to be wrong. I sense. That right now the attitude of a lot of people is, if we go into the into the crap all here as an economy, you're going to have the Fed. The, the thought is the Fed's going to turn right around back to one percent, pour money in, and the market is going to go up just like last time. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many times you can do that without becoming uh, the Weimar Republic or, or Argentina or someplace. Mm-hmm. I'm just asking. I mean, I mean uh, the, because that's the underwriting feeling that we really. Are, are going to go back to this two percent, and, the, and the, the more negative economic news we get, the quicker we're going to get there, and the more my stocks are going to triple, and Amazon's going to be back to four hundred again or three hundred, wherever it was. That that I hear that all the time from people, which is really really strange. Mm-hmm. And according to me, anyway. I, mean, I as I'm asking you, asking you. Um, I you know I God, I'm a, you, you you're throwing tough ones at me this morning. Well, I, I think uh, Russell. But here's one we'll yeah. both agree on. If if, mm-hmm. if if we're talking about a risk-free rate, where some people think six months from now it's going to be five and a quarter, other people are hoping if the news gets bad enough, it's going to be two and a half. The difference in the market price of those three percentage points is dramatic. That, that's why the market is moving a percent and a half a day. It's mm-hmm. if, you, if you if you if you look at a Microsoft. At where it's trading uh, two, let's say two fifty. It's two forty seven sixty. The difference in valuation in that stock, whether the, the, the risk free rate's going to be five and a quarter or two and a quarter, it's got to be a hundred bucks one way or the other, isn't it? It's got to be. So I mean, I don't, I don't think the market is being irrational, racing up and down here based on where the Fed's going to land in, in a year from now. And, and those opinions are all over the place. Some people think they'll be five and a half. That's what the Fred's saying. Nobody believes them. Everybody thinks it's three. If there's a first hint of a recession, even on by, by their numbers, they're going to come flying back down at one percent a month, down to one, down to two. That's that's a huge difference in the market. That, I don't think we should be having that debate. The Fed's not doing their job if people are are that spread and where they're going to be. In my opinion. If, Good. When you say not doing their job around that, do you mean? Not indicating or not managing things properly, or not giving the right signals. I think, I think they should be like the umpire for a period of a decade. They should never be heard. We should be at three and a half percent, and everybody should be able to count on it. Oh my God! Can you imagine that? But here's the, here's the the real issue with that one is: can you imagine the amount of volatility? Of course, we love it because we like to trade. But can you imagine the amount of volatility in not just the financial markets, but probably in the economy as well? If they just kind of got out of the way I, I think it would be spectacular and if anything if they get out of the way at this point um, you know it's kind of like uh, if, if you got a I always like the, the guy that, 
that, that cross the Chicago River on the tightrope. Um, it's kind of like uh, you keep moving the tightrope higher and higher and higher, and then you take the net away as well, and then you say, okay, we're not going to help you anymore. <laughs> well, that's kind of what you're talking that, That's what I feel like you're talking about with, uh, with respect to the Fed. Well, I mean, if they, I, just, if they stopped helping, well, but not, you know, if they if they stop managing things as much as they are, I don't think they should be. I really don't. They 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 overstep their um, they they overstep their directive all the time. I mean, in in you know when I hear Congress say they should be doing stuff to to promote ESG, I'm like, no, that's no. not their job. No, yeah, you know, and their job is not to prop up the financial markets, but. Um, you know, Mr. Mr. Free Market, you know, used to date Ayn Rand. Greenspan was kind of the first one that stepped in and did that. Um, I think, I think they all supported. The, I mean, they're, they're elected by the banks, so they're always going to support yeah. those guys, right? I mean, it's. I mean, right now the mantra is make sure that the banks have so much money that even if the Fed screws up, they can't go under. I don't know if that's. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know if that's written in the charter. Uh, I no, I I don't think. I mean, they're supposed to do two things. Manage, you know, help manage employment the best we can, and um, you know, make sure we don't have inflation. But if you were to put a overlay and of Fed policy of the last, going back really to what I've studied back to '68, if you put an overlay of Fed policy on top of the market and the economy, I think you're going to find the Fed's excesses both ways caused every every excess and every and every recession we've had. Mm-hmm. Which is one. Hey, I'm, oh, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure they yeah. I'm what? sure they And not necessarily the Fed, but um, the overall government. Well, the policy. The the, the policy. Yeah, is, I mean, they, yeah. you know, the the Fed plays along, and you know, <laughs> but there are lots of other policies. You know, the, the stimulus checks and all those kind of things that we got, which they, they were probably needed to a certain point. Well, I mean, again, it's where here's where you and I. Uh, Let's say the, the. I want to go into the whole thing about the profit argument next week, and I actually wanted to ask you like uh, Exxon is getting you know whole whole a huge ass whipping uh, for this fifty five billion dollar number they came out with in profit, right? So mm-hmm. my my question to you because Kevin and I were talking about what is profit today. What if they would have just paid out fifteen billion in bonuses to the top thousand guys, and it came in at forty? Would that have been okay? When I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, Commonwealth Edison is never going to tell you how much money they make. They're just going to give each, give the guys up top bonuses, right? Maybe it's safer in terms of our, our dumb uh, reporters. As opposed to showing you have profit and actually give it to shareholders. Why would you do that? Just just keep it all internal and say you didn't make so much. Then everything's, everything's okay? I uh, can't really get away with that one, but that, that, that's why everybody has to report their earnings over and over again versus but, I mean, you know, the you private know, company stuff you guys were talking about but nobody, nobody, Nobody takes... The the thousand people at, at a, like a utility that are paid over market and and describe that as profit, do they? It is profit. It's money they shouldn't be shouldn't have to pay people. I mean, how do people um, make so? How do people people make so much money at nonprofit firms? To me, it's profit. It, well, that's because nonprofits are are called so for tax purposes and not necessarily for what they're doing business wise. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, it's. Now they're, I, I'm trying to figure out um, how to launch my own consulting firm and say it's a non-profit. Well, you could be like the SIBO. You'd be a not-for-profit, and it sounds good, uh, but if you actually... Uh, if you actually well, it, it, it may be not-for-profit and have nothing to do with the goals. 
Well, but I'm saying SIBO is not for profit. If they made money, they had to pay taxes. Yeah. It wasn't tax exempt, right? Right. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of ways to, 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 to kind of slither slither like a snake around this, right? I, I just, yep. I mean, I, I think we, we need to get... Oh, my God. I mean, there, there's somebody. I, I I have a student who, who during COVID, got an LLC and put in for stimulus funds saying he had a company. Thank God he got turned down. Uh... I'm going to say, I have. The, I don't know if I ever sent you the website. You can look. There's like how many? How many? Like a hundred thousand? Some incredible number of people got COVID money in Illinois. Yeah. And uh, and 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 some of them. Well, as as you go through there, there's a lot of people that were, I won't say legit or, or, or where people actually had employees. They kept the employees. Their business was down. They paid everybody. And they got the stuff forgiven, which is sort of as, as the law went. But there's, there were a lot of churches in there that a year later, it, it, the amount of employees, like zero. <laughs> I mean, they, must, they must have paid them, laid them off, done something, or never had them in the first place. I, mm-hmm. it, it's a, if you went through these places, place by place, on the fraud, I, 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 don't even, I don't know what you'd find, Russell. I mean, that's not even, that's not even, oh, I, that's not even counting the part where a, a, a firm might have been, uh, well, I didn't think this one up when the listeners sent this in, and it was uh, a suburb out by you, Lily White suburb, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it had to do with the, the trash collection people and how they never missed the collection. They they never missed a payment from the village or whatever the hell it is, village or town, and and yet they got all their people paid for when when nobody nobody missed a day of work. Now they weren't working from home, obviously. You can't. I'd like yeah. to see you pick up somebody's trash from home. <laughs> That'd be a trick, right? Uh, so I mean, they so 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 they're saying why 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 did these people get money when they they never missed they never missed a, a smidge, uh, you know? So that's but I, I, I would not, I'm not going to count that as fraud. That's just that's just the way the bill is written, right? And, yeah. and a lot of no, it, it, if you if you fall within the law and you you know then yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it was really helicopter money. They just wanted to get the money out there. But there's other people, I you know. I, I think a lot, a lot of restaurants uh, took the money, and six months later or three months later were closed. I mean, even the airlines. Look at the money they got to, to keep people on payroll, and yet as soon as we opened up, they didn't have enough pilots. Well, okay, didn't we just give you a bunch of money to pay them? And where'd they go? You know, does anybody ask them these questions? How, how could you be shorthanded when I just gave you the money to keep people on payroll for six months? Right? I mean, I, And, yeah, and now, um, now you get to let them all go. Yeah, now you can let them all, let them all Don't go. Don't you think that's why the layoffs are coming now? Uh, I, th- I think some of the revenue, the ad, re- I think revenue is really down. Well, I think there's revenue it. problems as well, but you know, I think pe- through the COVID situation, I think people held on to people longer than they they probably should have in in a pure you know non managed economic situation. Well, but that was that was the whole point of it. Right? Yeah, I mean, if you had a I'll, I'll but, now, but now that we got that pin up, uh, we should have been cutting people, and, and it's it's a little bit worse. And I think that's why we we're seeing all of these cuts. Well, I mean, I, let's take a a small. I don't I don't know, I don't know what they got in terms of money. I'm sure they got something, but I mean, the, the my my local uh, watering holes, the official watering hole stacks and jacks, triply tapped. There's five, yep. six, seven people who work there, and I'm going to say that they. They did as, as best they possibly could have. They did carryouts. They did all kinds of stuff. And the neighborhood really stepped up and made sure you went over there one night a week and bought a sandwich and maybe even bought a drink in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a cup And because they, they love the place. The guys that run it are terrific people. 
And I'm going to say that, that Nick kept six, seven people on payroll. I'm going to say he kept them on the whole way. He didn't fire anybody. Uh, but during those that year, I'll bet he could have run it with two people, three, and, and, and what he was running, and just fired mm-hmm. the rest. So I think he used the money exactly as it was intended. Now, whether that was right or wrong, the bill or not, at least he did what he was supposed to do. Now, mm-hmm. if, if he would have fired him anyway and kept the dough, he didn't do that. Uh, I, don't, I, mean, I know he didn't. Uh, I think a lot of people did. You know, I, I think an awful lot of individual people, you know, some restaurants did better carry out than they ever did inside and got the money anyway. Yeah. And, and, by the way, laid people off. So I think a lot of people didn't do anything like they were supposed to do. And I don't think there was any mm-hmm. discipline in the system whatsoever. I mean, I, I, and I know uh, PTI got some, and it, it, if, you, if you talk to my brother, he claims it was if you played the game properly, uh, it was pretty rigorous. I mean, we had to send proof that we were still paying people, and we, and we, mm-hmm. we, got, we got very little amount because, I mean, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't really didn't hurt us that much. Um, but, it, you know, he's, but the thing that was kind of weird, um, uh, Russell, is if, if, you, if you wouldn't have played the game properly, as time went by, mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this or not, we've got a couple minutes left. When it first started, I, th- I think when if Dan was here, he could give a chapter and verse. I think he had to pay 90% of the money in terms of uh, salaries. So when, when you applied, you, you had to say, okay, I'm paying, I'm paying 100 grand a year in salaries. I'll just pick a number. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to give you the 100. And then you had to say that you, you at least paid 90 grand out in order to get it forgiven. As time went by, that number kept dropping. <clears throat> then you got to include rent. Then you got to include something else. And Dan would know. But it's, at the end of the day, I think the number got down to like 60% maybe. And again, I, if somebody has the right number, please call in. Uh, so if you would have essentially cheated on the front end <clears throat> and waited long enough, the law kept changing to where you, you were compliant <laughs> when you weren't <laughs> the way it started. <laughs> Very tricky. So in other words... We could have, if we were those kinds of people, we could have like upped our, our amount of money we were paying people by that we weren't paying people. We could have said fifty mm-hmm. percent more. But by the end of the day, if we'd have waited to the last second to get it forgiven, we could have taken off rent and all kinds of other stuff to where we actually uh, could have got fifty to sixty percent more. And I think a lot of people did that. Now, whether they knew the law was going to change or not, I mean, we did. We just, we just. You know, the little bit we got, we just said, we, you know, this is what we paid people, and that's what we did. You know, so we were, mm-hmm. we were, and I think a lot of people were really that straight. A lot of people, I, I don't think we're very straight at all. And I, I don't see anybody showing up at some church saying, okay, where'd the dough go? Show me the, show me the 1099s or whatever. I, whether they just blew it off and got, we, we actually provided all that stuff. So I don't know mm-hmm. how everybody else is getting away with it, but, you know, but then again, you know, my brother's honest as the day is long, and, I, and that's that's why our firm is the way it is. But I, I think you could you could have gamed this system real easy if you wanted to. Wait oh, I'm certain you could have. I'm I I, know, I I think I know of instances of where people you know pulled some pulled some things. Well, just the idea that actually there's a yeah it, beyond that. Um, I, I I I've got a business acquaintance who went to work for uh, recently went to work for a firm that does nothing but try to, to find minority-owned businesses and help them get get government money. Well, the, That's all they do. Well, the programs are out there. 
It's hard to get them. Yeah. Well, but they, they do it on their behalf, and then they, they take a percent doing that. Well, how many, uh, last, last question, because we got a dash. How many people mm-hmm. at the University of Indiana or other places you've been involved with, how many specific scholarships go unused? Like somebody donated. Oh, I have no, I have, I've got no idea. But I do know, um, yeah. um, you'll see, you'll You'll see things. You'll, you'll get emails saying people should definitely apply for this or apply for that. So, I think there's a lack of recognition of um, all the scholarships that you could possibly get. But aren't there some? I mean, I, people used to tell me this, and whether I don't know, they all got you know absorbed or whatever. There used to be like a, you know, a scholarship for say DePaul or Notre Dame or Loyola or someplace that is from a was endowed for somebody that it's from a Polish kid on the south side or something. And if you don't actually oh, yeah. know the so I, 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 um, I set up a scholarship for, uh, and it's a really small one, but I set up a scholarship for uh, anybody that's doing a master's in education that is a special ed teacher in the Memphis City school system, because that's what my mom did. So how the hell does anybody ever find it? Uh, they, they, they let people know. I mean, they, when they apply for the graduate school, they, they let them know if you're a special ed teacher, this is available. Okay, so they, so they actually will do it. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. how would you ever know as a student going in? So, okay. You're, you're, I mean, you got to do you know, that. That, you know, that, you have financial aid counselors that that help with that. But I'm certain there's there's stuff that goes unused. Hey, by the way, good for you. I knew there was a reason why I liked you doing stuff like that. Uh, yeah. All right, but take care of yourself. We'll talk next week. We'll dig into more of this profit stuff because I, I want to get like a bazillion dollar bonus someday and not have it count as profit, so I don't get any any heat about it. But I just get, I still get to spend it. That'd be cool. Uh, we'll, we'll figure something out for you. You're <laughs> smart. SP Futures down 13. SP Futures down 12. Big announcement today. We're waiting with bated breath. 115. Be there or be square. See you right tomorrow. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708 403 2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Oh, we hear very little and we understand even less.